Today on Outflow, we're going to attempt to answer the question, did God create evil? So if you're ready to get started, grab your Bible and everything you're going to need to take notes. I'm Alan King, and this is Outflow. Did God create evil? I think that most folks would conclude that the answer to that question would be, well, God created everything else, so he must have created evil. But I don't think it's that simple. Uh, There is a puzzling verse in Isaiah 45 that reads, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Again, that's Isaiah 45 and verse 7. One of the first issues that we need to define uh, in talking about evil is the nature of evil. What exactly do we mean when we say that something is evil? Now, many people use that term evil to define any type of disaster or bad thing. And I think that I would use it to define Uh, immoral behaviors such as murder, abortion, or torture. So how do we answer this question, did God create evil? Think about that. Did he, the creator of the universe, create evil? I'd like to look at four common, there's some tricky areas that need to be, I think, dissected in order to answer this question. Uh, And I want to look at those. Uh, First of all, there is the area of ontology and epistemology. Uh, the ontology and epistemology of God and evil. This, the, this, these terms, uh, ontolo- ontology and uh, epistemology, are philosophical terms, but they're important to this area of conversation. I don't think that you can uh, neglect philosophy because bad philosophy often leads to bad theology. First of all, let me define the terms and how they play a role in this discussion about God creating evil. Uh, Ontology is the study of the nature of being. It deals with how we know something exists. For instance, we would say, does ice cream exist? How do we know ice cream exists? Now, these are ontological questions that deal with the nature of ice cream's existence and how tragic life would be without the existence of ice cream. Now, that's coming from a a personal uh, perspective. But then uh, epistemology deals with the theory of knowledge. This, this area deals with how we know something to be true, which is the nature of such and such. Um, to use our illustration of ice cream, ontology would ask, does ice cream exist? Whereas epistemology would say, is ice cream good? Can we know that ice cream is delicious? So a created thing would deal with the area of ontology, whereas the nature of the thing would deal more in the area of epistemology, um, more or less. Now, when we talk about God creating everything, 
then we must understand that God created literally everything that exists, including the potentials to do certain things. However, if we grant the existence of human freedom, then God is not responsible for the actions that people take. Uh, Yes, God provides the means and the conditions that can lead to a person's actions, and God knows the free actions that a person will take. But the person, we are responsible for our own actions. Now, I know that is not popular in our current culture because our culture says that nobody's responsible or or, uh, rather that everybody else is responsible, that I am not responsible for my actions or uh, for for either for what I do or what, you know. But, But the fact of the matter is we are responsible for our own actions. Therefore, God created all things and God created the conditions where a person could do good or evil. But God did not create evil because, and here's the main reason, evil is not a thing to be created. It's not like a a virus or a slab of concrete. Evil is an attribute. It is a personal rejection of the good, the good which is an attribute of God. And then tricky area number two deals with the moral character of God. God is thoroughly identified in the scripture of being the ultimate good. John tells us that God is love. First John 4, 8, God is love. Scripture also indicates that God is absolutely holy, which means that he is set apart. He is absolutely pure, absolutely pure. Uh, one of my favorite authors Judson Cornwall talks addresses as he talks about the otherwiseness of God, um, that everything that we are, God is totally otherwise, uh, and, and above everything else, He is He is holy. He is the ultimate holiness. He is absolutely holy, uh, and He is totally set apart. He is nothing like us. He is totally set apart. He is totally and absolutely pure. And there are several scripture references that that indicate that. So since God is the absolute good and the absolute pure, it it is false to claim that God does evil. In fact, James in James 1 uh, verses 13 through 15 said, let no man say when he's tempted that I'm tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We have the option to say no. We have the option over our choices. Uh, James answers the question for us in great detail about God's relationship to evil. God cannot do evil because God is the absolute good. So how do we know uh, what is evil and what is good? If you're driving down a highway, you're going to see a sign that posts a speed limit. Now, in the town of Valdez, where I live, most all the way through town, the speed limit is mostly 20 miles an hour. 
yeah, it's really hard to uh, to go 20 miles an hour. Uh, but how do you know that you're breaking the speed limit if you were driving 55 miles an hour through the middle of town where the speed limit is 20 miles an hour? How would you know that you were speeding unless there's a speed limit posted stating that you should only go 20 miles an hour? The law must exist before you can know if you're breaking the law. Moral standards have to exist before we can know uh, that we're doing evil. Objective moral standards come from God. Again, evil is not something to be creative. It is not a thing. Evil stems from a rejection of God's moral goodness. Now, next we have to deal with what is known as, there's, there's a word, a Hebrew word, ra, uh, which means disaster and evil. Well, let's face it, biblical interpretation is tough, especially when it comes to the original languages. Uh, some individuals have spent their entire lives seeking to master the biblical languages but are still left with questions. Now, if that's the case, should those of us with less training in the biblical languages not have much more humility when it comes to those terms? I, I, I think so. Um, I don't know about you, but I am not a an expert in Hebrew. I, uh, I know enough to get me in trouble sometimes. Uh, but often Hebrew words can take several meanings depending on context. The key to scriptural interpretation is context. I say this all the time to, to folks that I talk to about the Bible. Uh, the key to scriptural interpretation is context. It is so important. Context. Uh, it, it is so important, especially when you're interpreting a confusing, a confusing portion of the Bible. In Hebrew, one such example is a confusion that occurs with that term ra, R-A, the little apostrophe sign, A-H. This word is used many different ways in the Bible. In the King James Version, it occurs 663 times. 431 times is translated as evil. The other 232 times, it's translated as wicked, bad, hurt, harm, uh, ill, sorrow, mischief, displeased, adversity, affliction, trouble, calamity, grievous, misery, and trouble. So I think we can see that the word does not require that it be translated every time as evil. This, this is why different Bibles translate the verse differently. It's translated as calamity by the New American Standard and in the New King James. Uh, it's translated disaster by the NIV and it's translated as woe by the uh, RSV. Yet English-speaking people often incorrectly assume an underlying meaning of sinister moral wrong and interject that into each use of that one Hebrew word. Ra is also the word used in Isaiah 45 for evil. However, I think this is important to see. This Hebrew word, and we're, I know we're going a little deep, but this Hebrew word ra is never it's never translated sin but always is something bad something unpleasant or objectionable therefore this word doesn't describe sin but the results of sin 
In Amos chapter 3 and verse 6, the word declares, Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? Is God really the one who created evil? Again, I think it's important that we look at context. That's the key, context. What is the correct context of the Isaiah 45 passage? Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7, the word says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, the New King James here translates raw as calamity. The, the King James renders it evil, while the NAS says disaster. Notice the context of the verses dealing uh, with who God is, that it is God who speaks of natural phenomena like sun and light and darkness, and it is God who is able to cause well-being as well as calamity. I think contextually this verse is dealing with uh, with natural disasters and human comfort issues. It's not talking about moral evil. Rather, it's dealing with calamity and distress. Uh, and, and this is consistent really throughout the Scripture. Also take note that uh, Isaiah is presenting contrast. He speaks of light and darkness, well-being and calamity. The, the word well-being in Hebrew is the, is the word for peace, shalom. So in the context, we're seeing two sets of opposites, light and dark, peace and non-peace, or well-being and calamity. The evil that is spoken of is not ontological evil, but the evil experienced by people in the form of calamity. Uh, so... We can see here that the Lord is involved uh, in calamity and problems in the earthly realm, but it is not a moral evil that God brings, but rather than but rather calamity and distress upon people. Um, of course, this raises other questions of why God would do such a thing, uh, which which is I, I won't cover that here. Maybe that's for later on in another podcast. But doesn't disaster indicate something evil? If so, if God brings disaster, does that not indicate that God does something evil? Um, no, not at all. God is holy. And if a people are unrepentant and are unwilling to stop doing evil, then God is completely justified in bringing judgment. That disaster is not evil if it is due to justice. It's like a parent who disciplines a child or a judge who executes judgment against a convicted criminal. Disasters are sometimes the judgment of God poured out uh, on an unrepented people. It's actually good for God to bring judgment as it coincides with his holy nature. And then the, the fourth and final of the tricky areas that we have to consider um, is evil being allowed to permit the ultimate good. 
So the final question that must be tackled is this. If God is good, then why would he allow evil to exist in the first place? Why would he create a condition where evil could even exist? The answer to that is is really quite simple. God's allowance of evil is to allow a greater good. Now, what is that greater good? Love. Love. Think about this. For love to truly exist, it must be free. It must be freely given, freely received, and reciprocal between both parties. Think about that. God could have created us as robots or automatons, but that would not provide true love. The ultimate love was given in Jesus who experienced the horrors of torture and experienced the just punishment that we deserved. He did so that we would have life eternally. The penalty of our eternal punishment was paid on the cross of Calvary. God lovingly confers his grace to everyone who is willing to receive it. His grace is freely offered and is freely received. That kind of love would not be possible if God did not allow the conditions that would allow evil to exist. A greater good has come. One day, those who have trusted Christ for their salvation will no longer need to worry about evil because evil will be vanquished. The redeemed of Christ are going to be transformed. We are going to experience the bliss and the glory of the heaven that awaits us. To God be the glory for that. As the old hymn writer, the old writer of the old song says, what a day that'll be. So did God create evil? Well, it depends on what you mean. God created the conditions for evil to exist, but did so to allow a greater good, which is the free love that is experienced between the lover, who is God, and the beloved, who is us, and the spirit of love between the two. Evil is not a thing to be created. Rather, it is a condition that exists when a person or a group of people reject God's goodness and his holy moral nature. Both the Hebrew and the Greek words for sin in the Bible carry the idea of missing the mark. God has an ideal for his universe in which order prevails. He is a God of order. And this ideal is expressed in the Ten Commandments, which are a revelation of his character. The the orderliness of God's universe is not... uh, is not that that is produced by automatons. It is based on freely willed obedience. If all of his creation, all of his creatures had chosen to be obedient, peace and harmony, the antithesis of Isaiah 45 and 7 would now prevail. However, since some did not choose, the unpleasant effect of sin are the result. Sin has consequences. Let me say that again. Sin has consequences consequences. God is responsible for evil to the extent that he set up the conditions of cause and effect. Man's aim at God's goal of perfection and order has been thrown off by sin and selfishness, but God keeps his target of righteousness before us all throughout his word. The closer we come to hitting that target, the more peace we enjoy. 
The more we miss it, the more evil we suffer. So God can say that he creates the possibility for both peace and evil as an inescapable consequence of a universe that is built on principles of order and casualty. Paul tells us what it looks like to live by kingdom rules and to live the ideal life. In Romans 14 and verse 17, Paul said, For the kingdom of God is not me to drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Who then is responsible for the introduction of sin into the universe? God did not create evil. He is the essence of perfection and peace and light. Notice that shalom, peace, is the antithesis of evil in Isaiah 45, 7. Yet the quality of love, of love, also one of God's attributes, led him to make his creatures capable of both love and hate, of trust and distrust. Only beings with the potential for both love and hate can truly love. So God is perfection by his very nature. And with him is peace. Outside of him is evil. When we walk away from God and his precepts, we separate ourselves from God and we separate ourselves from all of his goodness. To choose sin, which God did not create, always leads to evil. That is to that which is unpleasant, objectionable, uh, malignant. Which law of cause and effect God did, God did create. He didn't create evil, but he created that law of cause and effect. In that sense, it can be said God creates evil, but only in that sense. Though we may have activated our option to sin, God has not closed off the possibility of our return. He helps us by his spirit to steady our aim. By his grace, we daily overcome sin. We re-enter that circle of his love, and we experience the peace that he created and that he intended for us. Well, that's all the time we have for today. There's so much more I want to talk about here, but I, we won't have time to talk about it now. But next time, I want to plan to go a little bit deeper to deal with the issue of the creation of Satan and how that relates to the creation of evil. And uh, that'll, that'll be next time. Hope you'll join us for that. Thank you so much for making Outflow a part of your day. If you enjoy our podcast, would you please do us a, a, a couple of huge favors? First of all, please subscribe to our channel. Whatever platform you're watching or listening from, just click that subscribe button. And then give us a rating. We hope you'll give us a good one if you enjoy the show. And uh, finally, okay, I know I said just a couple, but there's just one more. Uh, please tell your family and friends about Outflow. We would love to have them join us as well. If you have any questions or topics that you would like for us to discuss uh, from a biblical perspective, please feel free to send those to us. All you have to do is email them to us at outflow at outflow.online. That is such a simple email address. You ready again? Outflow at outflow.online. I'm Alan King coming to you live from the studios of River of Life Church in Valdez, North Carolina, where I also have the privilege to serve as lead pastor with some of the greatest, lovingest, kindest folks in the whole wide world. If you're ever in the area, stop by and see us. We'd love for you to come by and worship with us. Thank you again for joining us today on Outflow. Uh, now, get out there and be blessed. And while you're at it, 
be a blessing.